And welcome to Catholics Coast to Coast. I'm H. McKay, where we get a chance to dive deep into the great shows that are available to you anytime, 24-7 at Podcast Central at EWTNRadio.net. Hope you've had a great week. And as we get to spotlight two brand new shows this week, super excited about this first one, Speaking with Deacon. It is an episode that really is diving directly into the difference between true happiness and feeling good, and it's with a voice you know well here at EWTN Radio, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, giving us a little insight into what true spiritual joy is and how it can be found by obeying God's will. We'll dive into that. This is Speaking with Deacon now on Catholics Coast to Coast. Hello, and thanks for joining us once again on Speaking with Deacon. My name is Mark Griffin, and as always, joining me, I have Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. How are you, Deacon Harold? I'm doing well, Mark. It's great to see you, my friend. Great to be with you again. We're getting closer and closer to your trip down under once again for this year. So you're looking forward to that trip, your eighth trip to Australia? Oh, I, I am. I, I love Australia. <clears throat> you know, I, I almost got considered like a second home now. It's a country I've been to. The only place I've been to more is Canada. But that's okay. just right north of us there, right? So that, well, that's kind of like close, cheating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but of all the other 24 countries that I've been to, Outside the United States, Australia is the, the one I've been to the most. So I'm very excited to come back again. This time yeah, well, I'm talking about the Bible, you know, with Sergeant right. Corbett. So it's not typical topics that I talk about. So I'm excited to be helping people uh, immerse themselves more deeply in God's word. No, we're looking forward to the trip. And yeah, to have Sonia here for the first time as well is going to be something a little bit different to the rest of your tours. But the, the book that you've written together, Ignite, and the video series and the audio series that goes with that, I think is going to be really useful for people. So it's not brand new, but we're excited to be presenting it to the audience down here. And yeah, hopefully we, we reach a lot of people with, with the word of God. Yeah, oh, absolutely. There's no, there's no question and doubt about it. If people come out, I think they're going to be uh, fed spiritually. I think they're going to love Sonia. Uh, yes. She's fantastic. We've we spoken together once before, uh, well, actually twice before. When I first met her was a conference in uh, Texas, in Midland, Texas. And then the second time was we were on pilgrimage together. It was myself and Sonia and Father Larry Richards. And right. Sonia did a, and, and Sonia and I did some presentations because we were in the Holy Land. Right. So yes. we based some of our talks on uh, uh, on the scriptures and on our book as, as it pertained to the sites in the Holy Land. So it was a wonderful experience. I look for this extended time with her uh, in Australia. Yeah, no, we're looking forward to it. And we we in Australia have um, been introduced to Sonia Corbett back when all the lockdowns were happening. Sonia was part of a few of our online um courses and, and offerings that we had. So looking forward to having her here in person. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a good trip. So that's July, 2023 for those, I think, I think it's July, July, isn't it? Deacon? July. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So for those local here in Australia, keep an eye on our events page. We'll have all the details of all the individual events as, as they're locked in, but July, 2023. So look, look out for that. Uh, today, we're going to be speaking on top, a little bit different to what we've spoken on before. Uh, we're going to be speaking on the topic of the pursuit of happiness and how we can find true joy. Now, I would imagine that this topic is of, of quite a bit of interest to a lot of people who are maybe trying to hit reset in their lives after an extended period, uh, extended periods of, of maybe fear and manipulation, not knowing what you can and can't do anymore. And yeah, people really need to find peace again. So I think this particular topic might really help them on that path. Uh, so many people, they've, they've really lost that sense of peace. They're not sure where to turn 
to maybe find it again. So I pray that we can help sort of lead them in the right direction today. Deacon, can you begin with the definition of happiness? Now, I've heard you suggest that this is not the same thing as joy. So can you also please explain the difference? Yes. Yeah, so I would say this. Um, the problem that we're seeing in our culture is that people are trying to be happy in life, to find happiness in life, but you can never find true happiness until you have joy. See, because joy and happiness are not the same thing. In order to be happy, you first have to have joy. So what do I mean by, by, uh, by the differentiation between the two? So if you look at some people who are famous, right? You have famous actors, you have famous athletes, uh, you have famous musicians, you know, and, uh, you know, and you look at their, their life and you see all the, the countries they get to go to, to, uh, to, to act or to, to write or to speak or to play their instruments. Um, and, and on the outside, everything looks great. Everything looks amazing. But on the inside, there is no happiness because there's no joy. So what mm-hmm. happens? Sadly, we've seen in some cases, uh, that some of these musicians will commit suicide. You know, some of these actors will c- commit suicide as well. Um, you know, since the pandemic, as you mentioned, Mark, uh, we've seen massive increases, at least here in the States, with uh, teenage and young adult uh, anxiety and depression, you know, um, since, 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 the, since the pandemic. You know, so um, again, how do you, you can, you can get past it, but you first have to have joy. So here's what I mean by joy. Um, in Romans chapter eight, St. Paul says this, um, for those who live according to the flesh and the word he uses there is a Greek word, sarks, which has two meanings. It has a meaning that Jesus uses it in, in John chapter six, where he says, eat my flesh. And, it, and the word there for flesh is sarks, which means flesh on the bone. The mm-hmm. other meaning of sarks is worldly things, fleshy things, earthly things. And that's okay. the way Paul is using it. So he says, for those who live according to the flesh, according to the world, set their minds on the things of the flesh, on the things of the world. That makes perfect sense. Worldly thinking, worldly living. Because but those who live according to the spirit, according to the teachings of God, set their minds on the things of the spirit. Godly thinking, godly living. Makes sense. Here's the kicker. To set the mind on the flesh is death. See, so to focus your life on the things of the world, on the things of the earth, on the materiality and the pleasures that this world offers alone, without any other focus, just focus on that, is death. That means you will cut yourself off from God's life. That's the happiness that people are trying to pursue, that they're living this worldly, fleshy existence without God. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to find happiness. But he, and, and Paul finishes by saying this, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. That's where the joy comes from. Once you set your mind and your life according to the spirit, according to the mind and the heart and the will of God, you now have joy that then enables you to have happiness in life. But here's the thing when it comes to faith. Because you're joyful doesn't always mean you're going to be happy. Uh-huh. Okay, now that's important because a lot of people will say, okay, in order for me to be really happy, I have to have pleasure. I have to feel good all the time. That's a very Epicurean way of thinking, right? So Epicurus 
was a guy who lived in the time of the Romans who felt that um, things that made you happy and gave you pleasure were good and things that made you sad or were very unpleasant were bad. So you would you would maximize those things in your life that gave you pleasure and you would minimize those things in, in your life that that did not give you pleasure, made you that made you not feel good. Okay. The the, the difference is this with us as as followers of Jesus Christ. For example, Mary at the foot of the cross, right? She was joyful, but she wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. Right? Because God's will was being fulfilled as Jesus prayed, we prayed Psalm 22. Uh, it's a messianic psalm of fulfillment. He was letting those people know that this uh, prophecy in this psalm is being fulfilled right now. And Mary's part of that, right? Psalm 22, it says, um, you know, uh, it talks about, uh, from my mother's womb, you have been my God, right? And, and so, and there's his mother at the foot of the cross. So she was not happy, but she was joyful. See, because joy means when you set your life uh, according to the spirit, according to God's mind and heart, that means you're doing God's will. Doing God's will doesn't always ensure happiness in life. As far as, you know, um, the uh, happiness in a sense, like pleasurable, right? But the happiness comes from the fact that you're doing God's will in joy. So some people are called to suffer, right? Some people may suffer injustices. Uh, the martyrs died for their faith, but they died joyfully. They weren't ha- they weren't happy about what was happening to them, but they were joyful because they were dying for Christ. That's the difference between joy and happiness. And how often do you hear in those stories of the martyrs, the martyrs who were openly singing and praying, and and there was a sense of it's not even resignation, but just a sense of peace that they had accepted the will of God. And that, sure, it was a suffering that they were going through, but they even nearly got beyond the suffering because they had the joy. And the joy was actually what actually enabled them to get through the suffering because they had accepted this was God's will. And it really does, it really does make us stop and think when we pray the Our Father, thy will be done. Are we praying that genuinely? And do we really want that? Because sometimes that does come with suffering. But if we do really want that, we will be able to actually face that because we have accepted God's will in our life. So, but yeah, just that, that, that image of those martyrs and, and singing as they're being burnt at the stake or, or mauled to death by a lion, there's something really telling in that. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, and, and that's something and it says that's countercultural today because mm-hmm. we've gone as a culture, as a society, we've gone back to that kind of Epicurean way of thinking. Do yeah. things in life that will maximize pleasure, that will make you feel good, even if it is at the expense of the dignity and humanity of another person. Mm-hmm. See, that that's that's we run into all kinds of problems in our culture today. That's why we, as followers of Jesus, must be countercultural. We must show the world what true joy looks like so that we can attain the happiness that so many of us seek. Absolutely. And, you know, Satan is the great liar and deceiver, but we're actually quite good at deceiving ourselves, no doubt with a bit of help from him. But we can actually convince ourselves that this whatever activity that we're doing or this this car that I need or this house that I want, this is what's going to make me happy without any, as you explained, without any aspect of joy to that. And it becomes just a material happiness. And we might genuinely have convinced ourselves that we are happy. We are happy roaring down the highway in a Ferrari. 
or, or whatever the example may be. But, but ultimately, those things are now a crutch because if we take those things away, we don't have that happiness. We never gain the joy. So we're actually left in a state of despair and, and really a state of resentment at the fact that that's now gone. It really has become a crutch at that point, hasn't it? Oh, there's no question about it. You know, the, the, the analogy I always use, uh, I like to use because I'm a musician, so I like to use musical analogies. It's like a violin, right? So you have a violin and the violin has four strings. Now, the culture in the pursuit of happiness without joy will look at that string on the violin and say, you see that string? That string is not free. See, that string is tethered. It's, it's controlled. It's manipulated. It's being used by the rules and commandments and moral codes of the violin. So in order for, the, for that violin string to be truly happy and fulfilled, we have to free it from the body of the violin that's controlling it and manipulating it and not allowing it to be free to do whatever it wants. And so the society would go over to the violin and take the tuning peg and tune that string all the way down, remove it from the, the nut, from the fretboard, from the bridge, and lay the string down next to the violin. Now, the culture would stand back and look at that and say, see, now look at that string. The string is no longer controlled by the commandments and moral codes of the violin. The string is now free to do whatever it wants. What is the string now free to do, whatever, to, to do Mark? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> nothing. It's useless. And that's the point that you were just making, Mark. If we live our lives, if his truth is whatever I want, freedom is whatever I want, it's an illusion of happiness. It's not really happiness. Why? Because when you pursue those things without any foundation that's rooted in a transcendent set of principles that always looks for the best in the other, that, mm -hmm. that allows you to make a gift of yourself to another, it becomes about the Trinity, worshiping the Trinity of me, myself, and I. And so you will always try to pursue things with that mentality, with that mindset, that will that that you're trying to find things that will make you happy, but you'll never find happiness. So, like you said, Mark, you have the you have the uh, Ferrari, you have the big house, you have the big boat, you have all the things that the culture says you have to have to be happy and free and fulfilled, and you're still sad, you're still depressed. You you get to a point in your life where you have all the stuff, but you feel that something is missing. That there's what 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 is that? We call that midlife crisis. <laughs> what is it a crisis of? Faith. But yeah. what's the faith? But what's the culture's answer to that? More stuff. <laughs> Why? Because you're you're not good enough the way you are. You have to you have to be defined by the possessions that you own. That's what determines your worth. That's what determines your value. Not a deep intimate relationship with God, but all the things around you of the world. Up. Oh, what did Paul say? Romans eight. To set the mind on the world is death. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Now, realistically, if we're trying to find ultimate happiness in the things of this world, we're always going to fail because this world doesn't contain the ultimate and nothing here is ultimately going to satisfy us for eternity. So God is the only one who can ultimately satisfy us. And so that emptiness is like that that, as they say, that God-sized hole, isn't it? And, and God is the only one who's going to be able to fill that. As St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. I think that was St. Augustine, wasn't it? And That's right. How do, we, how do we communicate this to the world, though? You, you talk about the midlife crisis and, and they realize, wow, there's something missing. 
how do we at that point or God willing, even before they get to that point, how do we redirect that and say, this is what's missing. This is what you know that your heart is crying out for. This is what you need. This will fill that, that hole. How do we communicate that to them? So think, think about like this, look at the reverse. So the, the, we as people of faith would look at that string and say, that, that's off the violin, say that string is not free. It can't do anything. It's mm. completely useless. So what would we do? We'll put the string back over the bridge, onto the body, onto the nut, into the tuning peg on the fretboard, and we would tune, right? The, the, the teachings of the catechism of the Catholic Church, the, the scriptures, right? The, the moral, the, 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 the morals and ethics and all those things that we use in the faith, that, uh, those things tune us to the perfect pitch for which we were created. And now when you not just play the one string, when you play the, all the strings in harmony, now the entire instrument makes sense and has purpose and meaning because it's all about being part of that body of Christ, right? It's, uh-huh. it's not about me. It's about how I can make a gift of myself to others. And now we're starting to live in joy. So, so how do we get there? We, we have to be the witness and example to the world of what true joy is. Um, you know, and, and, and that starts with divinization, right? So basically that's a fancy word for saying, um, recognizing God's life in us, right? And that's that's biblical. Second Peter chapter one verse four says that we are partakers in the divine nature. First Corinthians chapter six nineteen, Paul says our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit that we have within us from God, right? Genesis two nine says that God breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, and so uh, and man became a living being. So we have the breath of God's life. We share in God's divine nature through the sacrament of baptism. We have to exude that love and exude that joy to others so they can see what true happiness is all about. Like, for example, someone may say, uh, you know, gosh, how? look at you, you know, you, you, you're, you're living in this very simple house. You know, you, you know, you're, you're, uh, uh, you know, you don't have, you only have one car in your family, you know, you're, you're barely making ends meet. How, how could you be so happy? Well, you know, I, my wife and I, our marriage has, has never been stronger. My kids are all practicing the faith. What more do I need? You see, because the culture's trying to measure about what school did your kids go to and how much money do you have and how, and you're measuring it by how close you are in intimacy with God. See, it, that, when it comes to that kind of joy, money doesn't matter. None of that matters. Uh, what matters in the end is is how you're making a gift of your life to God, how you're witnessing to the power of God's love to others so that they too can experience the type of joy the, uh, that we experience every single day when we not only live our faith with passion and conviction, but cooperate with the grace of the sacraments to go out to live a Eucharistic faith in the world as witnesses of God's love. That's where the rubber hits the road. Using that example, it makes me think of St. Paul where he says, test everything. And if someone were to come to you and say, wow, look at these conditions that you're living. How can you be happy? How can you not want to improve that or to purchase that? Or, And if you test their argument, it's got holes right through it because they're the ones that are saying you need more, you need more, but they probably have more than you do materially, but yet you're the one who's happy. So it doesn't take much pushback to realize that in testing their claim, it's 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 uh, basically as I say, it's got holes right through it. 
Yeah, exactly. And, I, and I'll just show you a little picture from my own life. I mean, I was never, I mean, I was a monk in my 20s, right? So I don't really care about all the material stuff, the cars and the house. And all. I, I could care less about that. But there was a time where I was kind of focused on career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was, I was uh, working my law enforcement job. I had a consulting company. I was working, uh, not working, but I was a deacon in, in my parish. Um, and, but, and I was spending about 70 hours a week working, you know, and I wasn't even traveling. I wasn't speaking anything about the faith or anything like that back then. Um, and, and so you'd have thought I would have been happy because materially we had the money and all those, and all that kind of stuff. And I take the kids to Disneyland and all of that, but it wasn't until I left that job and left that career behind and left that money behind and started, um, you know, this, this journey um uh speaking and writing about the catholic faith all over the world you know um so it it it's, doesn't have the same kind of security as a job that with 401k you know uh retirement benefits and and a set salary and all that kind of stuff you know uh but my marriage has never been better since i left that job my relationship with my kids has never been better since i left that job right so materially mm-hmm. Are, 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 do we have the same things we had when I was working? Nope. But you better believe I'm much more joyful now than I've mm-hmm. ever been at any point in my marriage uh, since, since I started speaking and writing full time. It's been an absolute tremendous joy. And God has taken my life and my family's life places that I, we couldn't even imagine when I first, you know, I first made the decision to start doing this full time. Never thinking I'd go to Australia, never mind eight, almost eight times, you know, um, having the relationship with Perusia, you know, and the countries I've been to with Charbel that we've traveled to together, you mm-hmm. know, to, to kind of open new markets for Perusia. I mean, that's just insane. Writing mm-hmm. books. I mean, my sixth book is coming out later this year. It's just like, wait, what I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing? I get up every morning saying, I don't believe I get to do this again today. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's joy right yeah. there because you're focusing on the things of God, on the things of the spirit. And that will all, now it does, again, doesn't always make you happy because sometimes those bills come, you're like, okay, uh, I have to put that one off until the, you know what I'm saying? Until the next, you know, to the next time and that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but I've never been more joyful, never been more joyful. And, and my only regret, Mark, is I should have left my job sooner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's such a testament to trusting in God and taking that leap of faith. And you, know, you give it over to the Lord and just let him do what he does with our assistance. It's obviously not just sitting back and putting your feet up, but but trusting in him. Uh, it makes all the difference. And that actually, it sort of brings us to something that, you know, I, I might get a little preachy here and forgive me if I do, but but many no, people have heard, many people have heard that, that, that phrase, you know, um, put not your trust in princes. Most, it's obvious that Satan is the prince of the world, and you know that that can't be disputed. Uh, he often works subtly through, you know, prominent figures in this world, whether they be celebrities, politicians, athletes, or you know, even dare I say, more recently, doctors, and you know, people we're tempted to look up to, but may not have our best interests at heart, as we've learned over the last few years, especially. So, how do we keep guard against placing false trust in people? People who we think have our best interests at where we're going to find our joy and happiness in their in their path for us. So how do we avoid putting a false trust in them without becoming suspicious of everybody around us? And I think that's also something that's happened in the last few years is 
you see the other side of it. So people, one, on one hand, people are, are so trusting in everything that's presented to them. And on the other hand, people are so suspicious and understandably, but still suspicious of everybody and sometimes unfairly of some people. So how do we <laughs> avoid having us all basically huddled up in the corner in fear? And how do we maintain a sense of, of peace and joy in what is such a broken world? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great question, Mark. And I, I would definitely say, for me, it would be Eucharistic adoration. See, right. what, what we, the problem is, Mark, we've been listening too much to the world. And the world is full of noise. The world is full of distractions. The world are full of things that take you away from the message of the gospel. And, and so to even go a little more to your point, Mark, there have been some Catholic uh, commentators, bloggers, speakers um, who have, in, in my opinion, uh, gotten so far away from the original message of what of the gospel that they no longer even talk about Jesus anymore. It, mm. It's all about it's all about um, what I call rabbit holes, you know, going mm -hmm. down these sidetracks, these rabbit holes, these these uh, uh, tributaries, you know, that go off from the side yeah. of the river the, that flow off in a different direction. That the the focus is no longer on 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 God on the things of the spirit, mm -hmm. and so. When those things happen, we put our trust in those things, then that moves our hearts away from its ultimate goal and purpose, which is a deep relationship with God. And so we have to start listening to God again. And the way we do that is silence. God speaks to us in the depths of our hearts. And in order to hear that voice, we have to be quiet, right? Uh, that's why, for example, uh, Psalm 46 verse 11 says, be still and know that I am God, right? And, and yada, uh, know there in Hebrews yada, it means knowledge that is gained by experience, right? You have to experience something in order to know it, right? Habakkuk, it says, uh, silence all flesh in the presence of the Lord for he stirs in his holy temple. You know, again, God in the tabernacle, in the monstrance is there and we should be quiet before him. It's about quieting ourselves down, getting away from all the noise and distraction, putting ourselves in God's presence in the blessed sacrament to listen to what he has to say about our life, to listen to what God has to say about uh, how I'm going to use my gifts and talents to honor and worship him. It's about what kind of husband and father that I should be. I am I making the right decision here? That's going to be not the best decision for me, but for the best decision for my family. You, you, you have to make those decisions before God and it has to be in silence so you can truly hear God speaking to your life, to your heart, to your situations, to your needs, to your life, you know? Um, so get away from the distractions and focus on God. That would be my number one thing is, is Eucharistic adoration. Or if you can't get the adoration to find time every day for silence to just listen and focus mm -hmm. your heart again on what God is saying to you. And I think it's important on that point to actually do it. So don't think, oh, I'll just, everything will be silent as I go to bed because, you know, you might drop off and then the time's wasted, you know? So it's a matter of finding a productive time, not just finding the time, but finding a productive time, time where you know you can be attentive to the Lord, where you know that you're not so exhausted or, or just there's something that needs to be dealt with. You don't step out, deal with it so that you clear the space to have that time to give to the Lord. I think that's a very important um, 
qualification to that just to say, look, make sure it's a good time to be doing it and don't just tick a box. No, exactly. I mean, it should be, think about it. You, you, we say that God is the most important person in our life. Relationship with Jesus is, is the best thing in our life. Then we should find time to mm. be with God, right? Just like you, you wouldn't say, Oh, I want to spend time with my wife. You know, uh, let's wait until we're both really super exhausted, uh, before we actually do something together. Like, no, you can't even have a conversation because you're both like half asleep. You know, you find a time that's productive. You get a babysitter for the kids. You find time to go out and enjoy your time together. It should be the same thing with Jesus. Find a quality time of the day when you're awake and alert. Um, you know, where, where you can just pour your heart, heart out before him and not be afraid to be vulnerable. You know, that mm. should be a time that you, uh, again, should be engaging your heart with God's heart. You know, and that's a beautiful thing, but you're right. It should be a time where, uh, we're getting the most out of our relationship with Christ in that moment. And it should be a time that we're awake and alert and ready. That's a beautiful way to wrap it up. Thank you for bringing that in right at the last minute. You can find that on Deacon Harold's website on his store page at deaconharold.com. And you can also find it on the Perusia store page, perusiamedia.com, and just click store there as well. That is all the time we have today. So I'd like to thank you all for, for joining us again on Speaking with Deacon. And we look forward to having you with us next time. Thank you and God bless Understanding the true difference between happiness and feeling good. Thank you, Deacon Harold. That is speaking with the Deacon. If you want to hear that entire conversation or other conversations that you've missed, you can definitely check us out anytime at Podcast Central at EWTNRadio.net. And when we get back from the break, we're going to spotlight show number two, which is a brand new one to Podcast Central as we are spotlighting Saints Alive, which will give you a chance to listen to the incredible conclusion of St. Bernadette's story and the amazing healing that took place with Catherine Latipes. Through it all, Bernadette persevered in carrying out Our Lady's message to the whole world and we'll get to that next with saints alive on catholics coast to coast if it's central to the faith you can find it on ewtn podcast central featuring the best of ewtn radio as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation all in one place all free the destination for great catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. The news of Madame Latipi's healing spread like a spring that has flooded over its banks. Everyone knew, and everyone wanted to see for themselves. The hillside up to Masabiel was no longer grassy, but hard-packed, frozen mud over which hundreds now trod back and forth daily. They began to visit the grotto even without me, washing in its new stream and drinking from its cool, clear water. Mama, Papa, Toinette, and I tried to keep up our regular affairs, but we were bombarded wherever we went, and even our shamble of a home was called upon by strangers daily. Suddenly, Everyone wanted to be acquainted with the Subiru family, as if proximity to us meant a sharing in our mysterious fortune. Many offered gifts, but often the gifts came with requests, pleas for healing, for forgiveness. So many ached for a change in their fortunes, 
and turned to us in desperation. But we were mere mortals, impoverished ourselves. Children, you know now we must not accept these gifts. Not even un petit baguette, Mama. No, you know that, Jean-Marie, Justin. You know, Mephil. We did not accept pity money before. We are not beggars, nor are we now. We've managed to get by all this time, and we will continue to make our own way. To accept their tokens is to make a promise we cannot keep. Bernadette has no control over that spring, nor that one, as she calls her. She doesn't even understand it herself. On another note, I have been offered a job working as a miller again. It is dignified work, and that will fill your bellies again and keep a fire in the hearth. We all understood and obeyed our parents, who were so good to take the time to instruct us so, and avoid any unnecessary scandal. Despite keeping my head low, after catechism class the next week, Abbe Perramal pulled me aside as we filed out of the parish. Bernadette. We, Abbe? I do my best. Not to involve myself in the goings-on of the village, especially if such happenings hold excitement and sensation that could lead to scandal. But your stunt at Mazabiel has confounded me. I can't understand why dozens, what is it, hundreds now, follow a little shepherdess like you. I don't know either, Abe. Who is it that you see up there? What is her name? She has never told me, Abe. Ask her. Tell her it was I who inquired. We, oui, Abe. Anything you ask. That afternoon, that one was in the grotto, just as she'd promised. And ah, uh, she was looking at everyone, and with great love. Sometimes, she seemed to look at people one by one for a long time, like she was seeing long-lost friends. I knew those with open hearts could feel her gaze, though they could not behold her face as I. As Abbé Paramal had implored, I asked that one her name when we finished our rosary. She simply smiled and indicated that she had a message for Abbé to let processions come forth and build a chapel there at Massabiel. Though the sun hung low in the wintry sky, I made my way back to the parish to deliver Abbe his message. Let processions come forth? Why processions have been coming forth? I don't believe you, Bernadette. I asked for her name. She didn't tell me. Then we're through. Wait. Uh, are you translating this message to me, little girl? A woman of God would surely use proper French. You relayed this message to me in our pitiful local dialect. I used the words she herself gave to me, Abbe. You mean to tell me 
that you are the recipient of messages from a young, nameless lady who appears to you at the town dump and speaks aussitant? Oui, Abbé. You are dismissed. Go on with your little games, Bernadette, but know that these lies will torment your soul and be the downfall of your family. Bonsoir, Abbé. Wait, Abbé, I... I forgot. There, now. Come and confess. When you express sorrow for your sins, the Lord always forgives. No, I mean, he does, we, but I... I've not lied, Abbé. I forgot... I forgot to tell you the rest of that one's message. She'd like a chapel. She requests that a chapel be built there, at Massapiel. That's all. Bonsoir! Ask this lady her name, and when we know it, we'll build her a chapel. And also tell your lady to make the wild rose bush flower now, in the middle of winter. Night had fallen swiftly, and it was hard to see my feet as I flew back to the little cacho. My mind raced back over the events of the day, but still, I knew Mama would be worried. I didn't trip, nor did I lose my breath. I knew that one was carrying me safely on my way. I'm all... Bernadette, there is someone here to see you. Chief Inspector Jacomet de Paris, Mademoiselle, I came to get acquainted with you. Bonsoir, monsieur. Inspector. Bonsoir, inspector. Now sit down. We can all be friends here. I didn't come to harm anyone. Now tell me, petite fille, what mischief have you got planned next, hmm? The crowds at Massabiela are... <laughs> Annoying, shall we say? These people have better things to do. Look at you all. You've got half a sack of flour in the corner and a basket of three eggs for six of you. <sighs> really, though. Bernadette, tell me, what is this all about? The Emperor doesn't like such gatherings. I've done nothing to make the people come. That one asked me to go see her every day, and I have. Bernadette, tell me who put you up to this, or I will throw you in prison tonight. But, Chief Inspector, I have broken no law. You don't need to break a law for me to put you away, petite fia. <laughs> I'll find a law. I'll make a law. I'll write a law. No, you won't. Mon, Inspector, I implore you. The girl will no longer go to Masabiel. She is finished. I'm not sure of it myself. You have nothing to worry about here. I see. In that case, I will leave this contemptuous pest be for tonight. But mind me, I have eyes. I will have eyes on that hill, eyes in the village. My guards will be posted all about to watch you, petite Fia. <laughs> Bonsoir! Oh, Papa, you can't. I won't. I need to. You will mind your father, Bernadette. 
go to sleep. You've missed supper, and there wasn't much anyway. We'll straighten out a plan in the morning. I was heartbroken. I couldn't stand to face the predicament of failing that one, or mon père. I don't think I slept a moment that night. And this time, the insomnia had nothing to do with my empty belly, nor my cough. Dawn had not yet broken when a terrifying rap came at the door. Madame Sibiru, you must come. It's the Buhal baby again. He's, he's barely breathing. Yes, yes, I'm coming. Lord, have mercy. As my heroic mother set forth at a moment's notice, no time even to don her capulet, everyone else grumbled their way back into some state of sleep or another. But I was wide awake. I crept over Toinette and found my slippers by the door. No one even noticed me slip out. It was only in pausing in the stillness outside that I heard their footsteps and shouts. Not down the road in the direction of the Buhor house, but out toward the pastures, the hillside. Margo! Margo! Margo, come back! We will help! It's freezing, Margo! He will surely die out here! Give me the baby. I can help. Madam, the water. They will kill him. Don't. We could all go to prison. This territory has been forbidden. No peace. Post hoc exilium. Post concerning me was no longer of interest. I must belong entirely to God and to God alone. I had seen him in those moments and I was his. After witnessing that little boy revive in his mother's arms, my own mother knew she could not stop me from returning to the grotto. It turned out, too, that despite his threats, 
Inspector Jacomet could do nothing to stop me either. His fury did not equip him to write laws, nor had I broken any existing ones. The guards did prevent me and the crowds that followed from crossing the river to the grotto. But when I knelt on the far side of the bank, it was still as if I beheld her from just an arm's length. She confided three secrets in me that I humbly keep to this day. And as the fifteenth day of her apparitions approached, the rumors swelled again. Why, I don't want to be anywhere near there on the 4th of March. There could be earthquakes. It could be the end of the world as we know it. Oh, but don't you? The lady has brought nothing but grace. Perhaps all present will be healed. Or or granted a gift like my hand. Or little Justin Bouault. Looking out that day over the crowds as I waited for that one, I couldn't even see the end of the masses. The people were scattered all around, cast down the hill in flocks by the hundred. I know now that they counted over 9,000 in attendance that day. It was one of the most beautiful things to take in. Men and women, old and young, lame and full of health, all children of God convened in praise of Our Lady. I knew now that it was her, though she didn't have to tell me. They all carried blessed candles too, like me. Little lights flickered like morning stars across the valley. The promise of spring and newness hung in the expectant air. We all together clung unto hope. And then, she was there. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. My prayer again was a song. It carried me away into her arms, revealing to me the depths of her heart as we entered into the mysteries of her son's life, into his joyful yet humble nativity, his sorrowful scourging, his glorious resurrection. I didn't want her ever to leave. Before she departed on this last day, she implored me to pray for all sinners and to do penance. And to think that just weeks ago, I had laid in bed, perplexed by the need for suffering. Why must we suffer? Because here below, pure love cannot exist without suffering. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. I no longer feel my cross when I think of yours. Even when I stood up, the crowd around me remained kneeling. A warm gust, like the one I'd felt that first day, came and wrapped all around me, catching my capulet in its grasp. There was no miracle to see today. The rosebush at Our Lady's feet did not burst into bloom. No earthquake shook the ground. But I could feel the miracle present. We all could. The true miracle, and the one that repeats at Lord's to this day, is the conversion of the heart.
was seemingly the end, though I knew Our Lady must still have more prepared. I continued to study for my first Holy Communion that spring, and Abbe Péromel resentfully heard my first confession and absolved me. He at once trusted that I wasn't lying, but still somehow couldn't believe for himself. So that's it, monsieur. You don't plan to go back anymore? I I don't know, Toinette. I shall just have to see. I still don't see why we can't accept some of the gifts. Though, it is nice that Papa is working again. And he seems to be in better spirits each evening. Yes, that is such a blessing. Bonjour, mademoiselle. Bonjour, Antoine. Did you hear? Mayor Lockaday has ordered a fence be erected around the grotto. He's sick of all the visitors. At this point, people are touring around up there night and day, and he's still worried about his reputation. Oh, how awful! That will look horrid! The funny thing is, he can't get anyone to do it. (laughs) No one will work for him. It doesn't seem to matter what exorbitant wage he promises. My, that is funny indeed. What are all of those people doing over there, lined up outside the church? Oh, they're in line for confession. Abbe Pihamal has had to start hearing confessions for three hours a day since the beginning of the month. And still he has to turn some away. Oh, I'm sure he's thrilled about that. Life went on those next passing weeks, and Mayor Lacadet did have his fence built. Well, part of it. He'd managed to convince a couple of lowlives to hammer in a few posts. But by the next morning, the crowds had torn them out again. The effort was pointless. I had just finished my morning chores on the 25th when I felt it. I knew I had to go back. My mother was out with the boys, and Toinette was playing with some friends. I ducked inside to get my little stub of a blessed candle, and I lit it as I snuck out of the house. I knew I wouldn't get far along without someone taking notice. When I peeked to my left to see whose footsteps matched mine, I was surprised. Papa! Bernadette, may I join you today? Why, of course, Papa. I know she will be so glad to see you. When we arrived at the riverside where the fence posts lay strewn about, my father reached out for my hand. You have been crossing this river alone, my fille. Not alone, Papa. You know that. (laughs) I know you were far from alone, but the current is strong. It's picked up a bit these last weeks with the rain. I can feel that spring is really on the horizon. In the rocky grotto next to the trickling stream, we knelt, my father looking to me for direction. I nodded, and he took off his cap, and we both looked up. All at once, she was there. Oh, how I'd missed her face. As we rested in that quiet, in her grace, others came gradually up to surround us. We prayed, and I savored each second. When we were through, she lowered her head and leaned toward me with great gentleness. I am... The Immaculate Conception. And that was it. The Immaculate Conception.
direction she is. Oh, I have to tell. I have to call Papa. Bernadette! I raced back across the river and down the hill. I was a bird diving forth from the heavens. I am the Immaculate Conception. I am the Immaculate Conception. I am... Abe, I... I'm so sorry. I... I am the Immaculate Conception. What? I am the Immaculate Conception. That's what she said. She gave me her name. She... Oh, my Bernadette. Bernadette. It is I who am so sorry, ma chérie. It is she! Why, you don't have any reason to be sorry, Abbe. What does it mean? Bernadette! You have not been visited by an angel! No. You, you, you have beheld the face of the Mother of God. No wonder. What is it? It's just... I asked for a rose. For a rose in the middle of winter and she... Mother most chaste. Mother inviolate, mother undefiled, singular vessel of devotion, mystical rose. Pray for us. I, I don't understand. You will, ma chérie. You will. And the chapel, your lady will have her chapel. Great story of amazing healing with St. Bernadette today as Saints Alive gives us the conclusion of that story. If you want to hear the entire podcast or even previous episodes leading up and for future episodes, always check out Podcast Central at EWTNRadio.net. Getting a chance this week to spotlight a couple of our newest additions to the family. And anytime you want to download or subscribe and share with your friends, we appreciate you spreading the word as we get closer to God. I'm Ace McCain. Remember to let God define who you are. I'll see you next week with Catholics Coast to Coast.